Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur, with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone's having a really great day because we have a guest I've been looking really forward to. He has facilitated over a billion dollars of sales to companies across the globe, from IBM to SAP. He's successfully exited four businesses, selling one to KPMG. So this guy really knows what he's doing. He's a true serial entrepreneur. So you won't be surprised to find out that his new company, Ask My Board, specializes in helping other entrepreneurs exit their business at the highest possible price using something called the catapult method. Now, I've been diving through their site and really looking around and doing some searching on it. I'm pretty impressed with what I've seen so far about the catapult method. So I'm looking forward to diving into it more on the show. And I think you guys are going to enjoy learning from our guest about how he built the catapult method. The method provides entrepreneurs with a field-tested strategy and advice extracted from other fast-growing companies from around the world. I'm also really eager to learn about how Ask My Board helps entrepreneurs like myself and I know many of you who aren't really looking to build their companies to sell, but are really more looking to build a long-term company. This is going to be a pretty interesting show. So let's dive into the catapult method Learn more about Ask My Board with our guest today, Pete Martin. Hello, Pete. Welcome to the show. Thanks, AJ. I'm super happy to be on the show, and I look forward to a great conversation with you. Yeah. Just as I was mentioning to the audience, you have this really, (laughs) not crazy, but amazing background, and you had being a drummer in a classic rock band. So I'm just going to jump into how you see where you are in your own entrepreneurial journey right now. Yeah, interesting question. This is my, Ask My Board is my sixth company. And I've been involved in car leasing and software and services and just tons of industries and advised hundreds of executives across a lot. And so as I view my entrepreneurial journey now, it's, I won't say this is the capstone of my career, but to some degree it is from the perspective of, I've been mentoring entrepreneurs for decades and literally never Mm -hmm. asking for money for it. And I just enjoy seeing people, my personal mission is helping people realize the potential they have within themselves. And so my entrepreneurial journey right now is really directly related to that mission of really helping mm-hmm. entrepreneurs figure out their path forward, move past the obstacles, and avoid as many pitfalls as they can. But as you all know, AJ, and you've had a lot of entrepreneurial success as well, sometimes those obstacles are the biggest learnings, and yes. you can't avoid all of them. You have to go through some of them, and that's just part of the journey. So this is again, not, not kind of the end. This is the beginning of, of a new entrepreneurial journey and a capstone of some others. So did Ask My Board come out of some of your own situations that you had faced and you had dealt with, or is this sort of a mix of different things? I think it's a mix of different things. It was, I had a small group of about five CEOs of Mm -hmm. companies from, one guy was 15 million, another was 50. 
Uh, and we would get together with a group and, and collectively there were about four of us that we had started, scaled and sold about 500 million, half a billion mm-hmm. dollars worth of value uh, of companies. And so we get together and talk and just a good friend said, Pete, you're most other companies charge for this stuff and you've got all this wisdom and all this advice. Why don't you create a formal practice out of this? And so it was a mix of been doing this for a while and doing it informally and putting some more formality and some more process to it. I would like to go into some of the process you do, but where do you see Ask My Board going now that you've got it up going forward with it? Yeah, so it's interesting. So we, the inception of the company really was about almost 18, 18 months to two years ago, a little bit pre-COVID. And I did a lot of looking around of other firms, strategic advisory firms that help entrepreneurs grow, scale, and exit. And, yeah. and there's a lot of them. And I know you do some of this as well. There's so many firms that take a very small slice of helping an entrepreneur grow and they'll say, we are the answer. And so I spent almost a year building a ton of learning content. And we're going to launch a book here probably later this year called The Pillars of Power. Really focused on those growth levers and not the trick of the day, not the here's the latest SEO technique. These five things and you, yeah. (laughs) Yep, exactly. And then and they're, they're all interrelated and they're all focused on helping entrepreneurs grow without having to raise all these capital. And because I've been in, in three tech startups, I'm very connected to Silicon Valley and, and fundraising and VC money and all these stories and these legends that come out of Silicon Valley. And I talked to entrepreneurs and all the guys that I had created this mastermind group with, we all funded and started our scaled our businesses without outside capital. And the big learning was you just make different decisions when you've got to fund organically and grow organically. And it's really easy to grow a company fast if somebody gives you $50 million or $100 million. Yeah. It's just, it's a different set of problems. And so I didn't see a lot of strategic advice, frameworks, strategies, whatever, to help entrepreneurs grow organically without raising all this outside capital or being in a position where when you're ready to go bring in outside growth capital, you're going to get the best valuation, you're going to get the best deal terms, and people yeah. are going to be chopping at the bit to give you the money. And so it really was this kind of a culmination of spending really almost a year, a little over a year of kind of analyzing the market, figuring out what entrepreneurs need and using myself as a litmus for that. What would I want to get from somebody like Ask My Board if I was going to try to grow my company? We interviewed a lot of founders and CEOs, and this will be in the book, but of companies that grew over a thousand percent year to year. So think of the Inc. 500, that top 10%. And then we separated out all the ones that took in outside capital and really focused on the ones that grew organically. And the stories and the lessons and the frameworks and the strategies are, are pretty phenomenal. Yeah, the Inc. 500 is fun. I, I've done the 400 a couple of times. <laughs> I've hit the 400s. <laughs> what size do you think customers or businesses are best to start looking at you about what size in their growth, about where in their growth? We have clients that are 500K in revenue, top mm-hmm. line. Um, and we have some that are 25 million. Um, yeah. and they all have kind of unique problems. But I'd say our sweet spot is that million to 5 million top line. We don't work with startups just because we've got some really sophisticated learning around mm-hmm. value-based pricing and some stuff that I just think it's premature for a startup to be thinking about some of this stuff. And at some point, you get to the upper eight figures in revenue and you've got a different set of problems. You typically have an advisory board or you have investors yeah. or you have you have other kind of external sources that, that can guide you. And so it's that middle range that I think that works well for us. 
Cool, yeah, because a lot of people in our audience are in that upper six, low seven, you know, as we call that first kind of, yay, transition point. Oh, it's actually, <laughs> it's better, obviously, but it's more work. <laughs> yeah, we, we talk about entrepreneur to enterprise to empire to exit. Actually, that would be something because I always love how people define the different transition points. Because I know one of the things, and we'll have this later on, everyone, and then, but Pete and his team has offered folks listening to get an evaluation, look where you are. But will you walk through how you see these different transition points? Because I think a lot of business owners, a lot of founders, it's very hard to find the information around where they are. Yeah, lots of people define these kind of these different transitions, growth transitions differently. We just thought it was cute to say entrepreneur, enterprise, empire exit. But the big switch from entrepreneur to enterprise is you go from you as a solopreneur doing everything and in what we call this rainmaker's dilemma to becoming an architect of the business. And you make different decisions, you make different investments, you do things literally differently on a day-to-day basis. And very few entrepreneurs can make that transition. And even at that enterprise level, then there's different stages of that, right? So one to two to three to million, you know, million in top line revenue is very different than 10 million in revenue is very different than 50 million. And it's very difficult to be thinking that strategically, that holistically and making those decisions today about what might happen two, three years from now. Perfect example of that is this notion of title inflation. You want to bring your buddy in and they're doing sales. And so you call this person a VP of sales because they're good at selling. Yeah. And then when you get to the 5 million and you really need to put in a sales organization, what do you do with this do with this guy, your buddy, right? Who may be a good sales guy, but he's a horrible manager, right? And so there's just all kinds of things that you do early stage entrepreneur to that enterprise phase that you need to be thinking about what does that growth look like and knowing that you may need to go fire your buddy because just not a good fit for a large organization or whatever it is, or fire yourself as CEO and bring in a professional manager. So that kind of transition point. Yeah, I like because from a marketing growth, it's that idea of between the creative, like you're making it happen to the systems that Mm -hmm. allow you to more, yeah, as an as ex-chemist and other things, statistically be more successful versus just hope. That's right. Getting, yeah, into the systems. Yeah. Though from that experience, I think I've relied too much on it. Can you walk through these pillars? I was very fascinated in reading about how you define them and the way you bring them in for businesses coming in and looking at this. Yeah. If people are familiar with uh, Vern Harnish and Gazelles, it's in the Rockefeller. Yeah. It's very similar in terms of the pillars, but we there's some very unique differences. So the, the four pillars are team, number one. Mm-hmm. Customers number two. Number three is capital. And I'll explain why I define them this way. And then the fourth one is strategic execution. So on the team side, we call it team versus people because what's happened in the world now, and COVID really accelerated this, is most people think of team as your employees. But the fact of the matter is there's a global workforce that's accessible to any company now. And we have businesses that we advise that from a, a freelancer to contractor to to person ratio is you know almost 75 to 25. 25% are employees, 75% are outside contractors. And they did a really awesome strategic job of thinking through what really is core to the business that they need to have employees for and what can they get either kind of full-time freelancers or part-time freelancers. And they built the business 
around that. And I can tell you, you will grow significantly faster if you think of that way. So that's statement. I'll come back to all four in just a second. And then the second one is customers, obviously. And But from a customer perspective, it's not just customers, but it's the customers that you want to have, right? That are fit with the culture of the business and help accelerate and propel growth. And let me give you a personal story there. I sold a business to KPMG about five years ago, Mm -hmm. a consulting firm around SAP software. And very early into the maturity of the business, we had created, when we started out, we created this thing called the manifesto that we asked, asked every employee to sign. And it was about 25 pages. And we literally wrote out what kind of customers do we want to have? What kind of a nice. do we want to have? What do we want to do? What do we not want to do? And we created yeah. this whole, this manifesto. And about two and a half, three years into the business, we had a very large firm approach us to say, we're interested in you guys bidding on this particular project that was worth about 5 million bucks a year. All right. And we're a pretty early company yeah. and we were pretty excited about it because we really were the only ones in the world that had these particular skill sets. And so we knew we had a really good shot of winning the business. And we really thought long and hard over a couple of months and we ended up turning it down. And People thought we were completely insane. The customer thought we were insane. They're like, we're giving you this business. We're not giving these business, but we want you to take this business. Yeah. But we knew based on kind of the industry reputation that this company had is they treat people like crap. They chew them up and spit them out. And we knew that as a services business, your employees are everything, right? They're the revenue engine. And if we just through these guys at this customer, they would just chew them out and they'd probably quit. And so we turned it down. There's a lot of work around, or a lot of thought leadership around, A, we care what's your dream customer look like, but we have this thing called lighthouse positioning that through not only defining your customer, but how you differentiate your services and then how you create and influence the buying criteria. Yeah. And we do that to this thing called lighthouse positioning. That automatically attracts the kind of customers that you want to your business and it repels the kind that you don't want. And that's a very difficult thing for an entrepreneur in moving to that enterprise stage to turn away business, right? Everything looks like good business. And I can tell you, and I know you know this as well, not every business is good business. And you've got to be very selective and strategic about the kind of customers you attract. Yeah, I've experienced that. Yeah, the approach of we'll do everything and take out the garbage too only gets you so far and you pay for that in the long run. Yep. You really do. You really do. And then, so it's team, customers, Mm -hmm. capital, and even from the capital perspective, a lot of our focus is on really two pieces, generating enough cash flow that you can fund your growth internally, right? You don't have to go for outside capital if you don't want to, or you get to a position where if you do want outside growth capital, whether it's bank debt or any other kind, there's all kinds of ways to raise capital now. You're doing it at the best possible terms you can, right? And that you can survive on your own. And you like to say that bankers are great to give you an umbrella if it's not raining and kind of thing. But then also value-based pricing. And this is what pricing is one of these areas that we see everybody screw up. I shouldn't say screw up, but they don't think thoughtfully around how can I price my services at a premium level and make sure that I've got enough true distinctive differentiation that I can support that notion of value-based pricing. And a 1% improvement in a price can relate to 10% increase in profits immediately. And so we have a lot of thought leadership and kind of ideas and frameworks and strategies around pricing on the capital side. And then the final one is strategic execution. And I've spent 20 plus years in enterprise technology, particularly around ERP systems. And so 
process guy, not by an engineer perspective, but in terms mm-hmm. of what I've been doing for 20 years. And when I started out selling SAP and, and managing a, a big business unit SAP, everything needs to have a process and it needs to be internal and you need to optimize and all this kind of stuff. And really what I learned, particularly at that transition phase from entrepreneur to enterprise, is not all processes are created equal, right? Mm-hmm. And you need to be very mindful and thoughtful about what is quarter business? What do you insource? And then really nail that process down. And if it's focused on customers, that's the best thing you can do. And either outsource or just don't worry about the rest of the stuff. Not every process is equal in importance and strategic yeah. importance. And so that's what strategic execution is all about. And you can move to the point of, and, and the nice thing about these kind of four levels, excuse me, these four pillars, which I think is very unique is we've got stuff that ties every one of them back together. So in the process yeah. perspective, you move through these maturity levels through each of these and the final maturity level and strategic execution is where you're co-innovating with customers. So then it ties back to customer and then it ties back yeah. to capital and it ties back to team. Right. And all these things play off of each other. And if you can be that company where you're truly co-innovating products and services with your customers, you've got a hell of a valuable business. Right. And then you've got lots of options. You can be the chairman of your company. You can sell. You can exit. You can get growth capital. You just you have the maximum amount of options there. Yeah. And that is an interesting thing, because from my own experience, I know that we got to a point where we were creating products with customers, the company that I last sold seven years ago now. But our capital situation got a little janky is the way I say it, because while revenue was growing, the accounts receivables blossomed because I was taking on larger clients that maybe towards your lighthouse effect were not as friendly to their vendors and that lovely. We give you a four month window, but you can take a reduction in payment to get them. And yeah, I got hit. I like that kind of concept because it is your goal when you're building a company is to move up the value chain where it's all but having a nice balance of your other capabilities, your talent and your capital to mix with that. Yeah, right. that's I, <laughs> something I wish I had. Uh, you've been around back in 2013. <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of some more big ideas, as we call them, in each pillar. So on the team side, it's interesting how very few entrepreneurs really think hard about what kind of people they want to attract, whether it's a freelancer, frankly, or whether particularly if it's an employee. And so we've got frameworks that you think about your dream customer, right? And on the marketing side, I know you talk a lot about this. And what does your ideal customer look like? What's that persona, right? We've rarely met an entrepreneur that we said, what's your persona of a perfect employee, Mm -hmm. right? What's your dream employee look like? Not a perfect employee, your dream employee. What values do you have in the company that you want that employee to have as well in terms of kind of their core makeup of their character, so they, maybe they're not the top, top salesperson, but, or the top developer or top whatever operations person, customer success manager, whatever that is, but they extol the same values you have. And as you probably know, and most entrepreneurs know, 99% of the problems an entrepreneur or business owner has is it's a people problem. And then, but at the same time, not too many entrepreneurs think thoroughly about, all right, what is that dream employee look like? And then creating, literally creating job descriptions, then they don't talk so much about the role, but they talk about what are the values and what are the outcomes we're looking for? And when you do that, you open up the funnel of who you could potentially attract. And nine times out of 10, those people that come in are uh, a way better fit than the standard. You need to have five years experience and you need yeah. to have a college degree and blah, 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 blah. And when you do this long enough, you have enough businesses 
But if you, when people think back and they're like, who's my top performers, right? It's man, it was that person that I would have never guessed. But then when you start thinking about it, you're like, oh my God, because the values were aligned. They were constantly learning. They were fully engaged. So I like that. And I'd be curious how you think of it from a growth point, because I do something specifically when I look at growth teams, but even some of the companies I invest or am advisor with in broader terms, what I call talent mapping. I picked it up years ago from some, going to say it was like a McKinsey journal or whatever. That talks about like mapping out how your talent needs will change over time and depending on different growth. Do you guys look at how culture will change or needs to change over time? So therefore, the type of cultural fit or the type of cultural addition that talent will be bringing in over time. If you do a great job hiring and you do a great job on defining what your culture is, your culture shouldn't change. This was a learning back, you know, I worked for IBM for eight years and they had their values set up and they did a pretty good job of executing those values. And so as it grew from Tom Watson Sr. all the way through to what it is today, and yes, culture's probably changed a bit, but fundamentally it really hasn't. And so if I look back at the services firm where we created this manifesto, we had a really interesting experience. So five years into the business, we'd grown, I think we were 30 people at that point, and we were going to redo the website and redo a whole bunch of stuff. So we said, well, let's take a fresh look at what the values are company are. And so we sent out a survey to all the employees, the manifesto thing we'd set aside. And even though we made people sign it, we didn't really talk about it as much as, as we kind of did going forward. But we asked everybody, what are the values of the company? Consistently, almost unanimously, they stated those five core values that we had had in the manifesto that said, this is actually what the culture of the company is. This is exactly how right. we live it on a day-to-day -day basis. And then when we did it again, another five years later, before we exited, it was the same thing. I was super proud of the fact that we had hired and fired based on that set of values and didn't hire based on that set of values. And we were able to sustain that culture over those different stages and transitions that we went through. And again, it's not it's not hard to do, but you have to make really tough decisions. And you may have this person that looks phenomenal right on paper. You just really want to hire them, but you just know in your gut or based on evidence that you've seen that they're not a great fit to your values. And you have to say, I'm going to wait, even though you might need that. It's like, I'm going to wait another six months to find the person that fits with my values. And those are really tough decisions to make, but they pay off spades in the end for sure. I had an experience that could have helped me a lot, almost the reverse. I interviewed this one woman who came through and she just fit. Everything was fit, but I was a little worried just on cat, the typical entrepreneur. I was like, oh, we're not quite there. Maybe not another. If I land this one client, we'll be at that level. She got snapped up while I was differing. And she went as a strategist to a company that had just raised funds. And then within three months, she was the chief of staff. And now she's the COO of a really big you know, startup or sorry, VC-backed company. They're not startups, they're a few hundred million. But it is funny, that talent layer and that it's like both not who to hire, but when you see someone who does fit, being able to choose that type of person, one, two, three. I'll tell you, my co-founder of one of my companies would just jokingly say, Pete, when are we going to stop hiring bad people? When are we going to stop making people mistakes? And I said, the minute we figure that out, yeah. we will be multi-billionaires because everybody makes this mistake. And I always use the example of Rod Johnson, who created all the retail stores for Apple, just blew out of the water for Apple. He then goes and becomes a CEO of JCPenney. Yes. And 
crashes and burns. I think he was there 14 months or something like that. And again, it was a culture misalignment. And it wasn't that he's not a smart guy and a competent executive, whatever. It was a really bad cultural alignment. And big companies make these mistakes all the time. And so we all do. And so it's a continuous learning thing, but there clearly are some best practices and some lessons to be taking. And one of them is just think about what you want your culture to be about. And then just thinking about that dream employee, not perfect employee, nobody's perfect. And then try to mesh those two things together. And there's lots of assessments and tests, whatever, but just even spending some time on those two things is super valuable. That is really, really cool. I think it's something that I know from talking with a lot of our audience and just from my own experience, we have this thing where we're just like, we're trying to create something and make it work. I always call that I throw stuff on my shoulder and just rush forward. I had one listener who is an advisor to companies in Ireland and other parts of Europe looking to sell and they are 10 million plus companies, but he had this great thing. I was talking with him where he says, even the entrepreneurs for the owners of these large companies, they still really don't bring in planning. They do the formal planning, but it doesn't quite live. So he had this thing of associating with someone important to your life, a child, a spouse, and planning on either side of their birthday. How are you doing with your goals for this company towards what it means for your ability to make it more living? How do you help or how do you suggest entrepreneurs who are just running forward, being broad there, but running forward and building their companies and just trying to make things happen? to moving towards a more systemized four pillars. How do you suggest that they start thinking about it so then they can move into a system like yours? So there's this concept called the Rainmaker's Dilemma. And I don't know if you talked to John Wierlow about this or not, but the idea of the Rainmaker's Dilemma for your listeners is most business owners, entrepreneurs, when they start, they are the primary rainmaker for bringing into business. There's a fundamental difference in value and growth and scalability from somebody who's, because what, what happens with a rainmaker is if you're the person doing all the selling, at some point, you're going to you're gonna hit this threshold, right? You're going to hit this apogee of growth where you just cannot grow anymore because you can't put any more time in as an individual. And there's a huge difference from being a rainmaker to being what John calls an architect. So if you're thinking about sales and delivery and growth methods outside of you, that's where you hit these growth curves. And so what it comes down to, and we actually have this tool that will help business owners literally think about what they do on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. what a priority of how does that sync with your particular skill set. So if you're great at selling, that's great. Most business owners and entrepreneurs are still going to be involved in that process, but you can also train other people to do it. You can take some of those things that you do really well, train other people to do it, and then get rid of all the other garbage that doesn't make sense for you to be doing. So how we approach entrepreneurs as they create this growth plan is it literally comes down to what are you doing on a day-to-day basis? Literally, because that's where the rubber meets the road. And if you say, hey, I want to grow and I want to scale and you're spending whatever, eight hours filling out RFPs, I can tell you that where you're going to hit your limit. And, and frankly, a lot of ego gets in the way. And we deal with a lot of entrepreneurs on the mindset of, I've got a client right now who just says, Pete, there is nobody else that can do what I do. And I'm like, I'm sure that's not the case. And yeah. it becomes this a little bit of an ego, a little bit of a, a fear of letting go. There's all kinds of things that go on in entrepreneur's head. But that's where we start is let's literally talk about what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. And are you a rainmaker? Are you an architect? Are you a generalist? What are you doing literally that is either getting in the way, inhibiting growth, or enhancing growth? And that's literally where we start. And for your listeners as an entrepreneur, let's spend some time writing down what you do, or you can use one of our tools yeah. that kind of maps out where are you on that chart of 
architect, rainmaker, whatever. And it's pretty telling about what things you should be doing, you should stop doing, you should do more of, or you should give to somebody else. Now, an entrepreneur who two enters into your Ask My Board program starts working with you. Is there like a framework? Okay, first we do X, then Y. So expect over its time period, or is it more free branching depending on where they are? Yeah, it's really interesting. We have a very formal process. We call the whole process the catapult method. Yes. And we we start with either, are they thinking about an exit or is it just fundamentally growth and, and exit somewhere down the road? Where the two come together, though, is if you think about, we always use the analogy of a house. So if you're getting ready to sell your house, when do most people start painting the front door and fixing the gardening or they're going to sell the house? Yeah. It's not that it's too late, but there's a very different valuation, generally speaking, if you've been maintaining your house the whole time versus you did it two days before somebody was going to come look at it because you're selling it. It's the same thing with your business, right? People People intuitively get that about the house, and then they don't think about applying it to their business. So the catapult method is, even though there could be an exit down the road, it's focused on building a really healthy, financially sound company that you can scale and grow with. It's typically 12 months. We've also got this 90-day fast track program. But the way that it works is there's some micro-learning videos that just introduce concepts. Based on those concepts, there's actually a bunch of tools that they actually take their business and apply it through these tools, take these concepts, apply it to their business. And then where we do the coaching, then we'll help them through the coaching, either mastermind way or in a one-to-one coaching way. And then we just work through the sequence. And typically it's 12 months. We could do it in three months. And we have clients that personally I've been working with for three years. And they went from, they want to sell their business because they're exhausted and they're tired of dealing with people problems to they're not going to sell the business because they're making so much more money. They're so yeah. much happier. They're growing like crazy. And they're like, I'm having fun again. I and mean, it was a while before they're having fun. So it just kind of depends. I like that. Now, is it mostly work with the entrepreneur or do you go into an organization? Because like I do something called strategic coach or I just started. And what I found was when they started working with some of my support staff, all of a sudden it was like, oh, so much better because I was playing the telephone game. So how do you guys work within an organization? And maybe what's that commitment an entrepreneur should be thinking about for himself and his team? I'm a big fan of Kennedy and and Strategic Coach, and it's a terrific program. To me, it's focused more on mindset, strategic execution of the business. We're focused on the nuts and bolts of every aspect of the business we're going to work on. And so the core program is focused on really the business owner, CEO. That request comes up all the time. We haven't formally enabled working with the whole team, but we're getting the request enough now that we're going to we're gonna probably open it up to the whole team. We just got to change the structure of, of how we do that. The same base level of learning and, and understanding of concepts. So giving the tools to the entrepreneur and then the accountability, the masterminding structure around it. Yep. That's good. Because I do want to ask you about something fun, but before we get into it, can you share with the audience how you define success for your efforts, not just for the company, but for what you're doing on your journey here? When I first got into management, what just floated my boat, for lack of a better word, is when you could see this potential in an individual and you work with them and and groom them and continue to develop them. And then they became this unbelievably better person. And that was just the most fulfillment to me. And that's yes. the same thing with how I define success now. If we work with a business owner, whether they're strategically planning an exit or whether they just want to grow their business, to see them get it, you see this click and you're like, 
oh my God, they got it. We have a, an entrepreneur that we'd been working with and he got an offer to sell his business for 3 million bucks a little while ago. And I told him to turn it out and he's like, dude, are you crazy? Like, you know how much money this is? And I'm like, it's worth more than double that. Just trust me. It took a while for him to trust me and he did. And he now has an offer for more than 2X what the business was, but in the offer that we got two years ago. And it took him a while for me to see that click that he got it. But when he got it, you could just see everything in his life changed and in terms of the business. And he emailed me about a month ago and his deal's done. You need to come to New York because I owe you a really big dinner. And so it's that's how I define success. It's not related to the business. It's if I could do that times a million entrepreneurs, fantastic. That's it. Just that, man, they either just broke through this growth barrier or got double the value that they thought they were going to get with better terms. And that's how I define success. I'm going to pull together a couple of things from what you said, but like your previous business leading up to now last month board, there's a lot of focusing on the intention or inherent value there and then doing the work to now allow for that inherent value to occur and then moving all the way to now the exit kind of concept. I like that that's been a consistent point from the different things you've talked about. You got to set the right type of customers, the right type of employees, the right type of culture, referencing to the point of you actually have to do the right type of work to support those efforts to then get the right type of success, not just success, but the right type in, that's inherent to what you're trying to do. There's a lot of good effort, but you have a great additional role in your life that is inherent to who you are. Can you tell us a little bit about your side gig here? <laughs> Yes. So we got the band back together. So, so I had a band with uh, my good friends I've known literally all my life in college. We played around for about a year or so. And then we all turned a certain age. It happens to have a five in the front of it. And my wife and family was nice enough to uh, give me a drum set for my birthday. And I called up my other buddy and said, hey, man, I want to get the band back together as our kind of as our <laughs> gift to ourselves, right? Yeah. And and he's I'm all in. And then he called my other buddy and he's I haven't touched my base in 25 years, but I'll figure it out. I'm all in. And then we took a lot of controlling for about six months with our lead singer. And then we added another one. And so we've been playing together for eight years now and play a lot of classic rock. We've created our own. We wrote about eight originals now. We released an EP two years ago. And it's just man, it's just so much fun. And drumming and playing, playing with the band is one of these things where Everything else in my life just falls away. I don't think about family. Yeah. I don't think about the business, whatever. It's just making music. It's just a lot of fun. And you guys on Spotify? We are on Spotify, actually. So I will reach out to you guys. We'll embed that. We'll make sure we have it. We're not, we're not easy to find. The band name is Fallout, and our, our URL is fallout.band. But it's really funny because we... You're an 80s band? Uh, <laughs> Did you guys? Well, well you know, we, we released a one of our songs on Spotify... This is probably about two years ago now. And apparently, not unbeknownst to us, there's a heavy metal band called Fallout in uh, Iceland. And okay. as we were looking at all the, the track, all the play time we were getting, it was all coming from Iceland. And we're like, what the heck is this? And then we were digging into it. We're like, uh, Iceland. <laughs> people found the wrong band. <laughs> they thought we were this heavy metal band. But but we got our we got our dollar twenty cents from all the Spotify listens, so that was good. Very cool. Yeah, I, 
back way back in the day, I was I had a college radio show that I got syndicated but for a couple of universities. And I used to love the bands coming in. We have a hit in Lichtenstein or we're big in. But that's cool. That is very cool. We'll make sure we have this on the thing. And then definitely for businesses looking to where they are in their growth and taking that next level, we'll have the offer that you for the audience that you so kindly have put together for us. We'll include all that. But no, I'm really excited to see this more. And I think I want to, I'll probably be reaching out since I'm going through the micro acquisition channel through a couple of things in looking at how we're growing. I think that focus on intention and then stepping through the different levers that you guys have used. I like that a lot. And that's pretty impressive way of offering it to your customers, your clients. Pete, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a lot of fun. And yeah, I'm excited to see this, see where you guys go with Ask My Board and a lot to think about for me. Thanks, AJ. I appreciate it. And just to go back to the offer. So we have this thing called the business value assessment. um, And it's really two things and what makes it very unique. So one is we'll do a formal valuation of the company and, and it's a range of values. But the, the beautiful thing about it is that when somebody does the report, it's not just the range of what the value of the company is worth, but it's what are the things that you need to do as a business owner focusing on the business to double the value of the business. And 60,000 companies have taken this business value assessment. And what we found consistently is the firms that the business owners that focus on those eight drivers of value, they can double the value of the business in a fairly short period of time, nine, 12 months, 18 months. And so that's the beautiful part of it is if somebody says, okay, you're in great health, AJ, or you can improve without the specific advice of, hey, you need to do this and this to make sure you're in top shape. It's just a piece of information. So that to me yeah. is the biggest value is focus on these things very specifically, customized, personalized to your business. And you could potentially double the value of the business. So that's the offer that you'll hear about later. Cool. Thank you very much. I hope you have a wonderful afternoon out in Cleveland. I am in sunny Charlottesville, Virginia right now. So, But no, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Again. Awesome. Talk to you soon. Thanks, appreciate it. That was a lot to think about today on the show. Pete really shared a lot of things that I think have been popping up frequently with successful entrepreneurs on the show and from other people I talked to out there in real life. What he did with his previous company in setting the intention, having the mission and having everything aligned with it, bringing it in to ask my board and then having companies really find specifically when he was talking about one of his clients who really revamped the focus on their core mission and went from a nice offer to literally three times higher. That's pretty impressive. I think there's something to really be taken out of this as we look at our businesses and things that we can bring in is really diving into what is it that we need to do to really bring our intention in a systematic way to the forefront of our businesses. I know, and I have an episode coming up, I'm talking more about intention in business. And I think this gets on the borderline of, I know I have difficulty in going there because it's easy to say, oh, I want to create this great company. But what does that really mean when we talk businesses? And what does that mean from a measurable, actionable type of situation? And Pete and Ask My Board isn't really diving 
into that concept, they really do bring a lot of actionable, measurable ways to growing or putting your company in a position to grow, but also to increase your life, your long-term value of the company. So I think that's something we're going to explore. And Pete and I chatted a little bit after the show, and I think we're going to try and do a little bit more ongoing about what does this mean the catapult method and how to bring it to bear. So you may be hearing a little bit more about my own company, Insight Labs, as we help companies grow their marketing faster. We may be using Pete's catapult method to grow ourselves faster in an organizational structure. It's always fun how there's all these different aspects of growth, organizational, and then looking at operations and finance and all these things. And there are a lot of moving parts to this. And this is both the difficulty and the fun of growing our businesses. Really, check out Ask My Board. Dive a little bit into the Catapult Method. And if you are interested, remember, Pete offered you all a business value assessment, which provides not only evaluation for your company, but personal advice on how to double the value of your company. They normally charge about 500 bucks per assessment, but... They're offering it to everyone who clicks on the link below in the show notes. We will have that there in the show notes for $95. So get a good amount of savings there. Worth checking out and seeing if there's anything there that's just percolating in the back of your head if that shows up or things you may have completely missed. That's a pretty good offer just to give yourself a nice framework of what you're doing with your business. So if you want to learn more about Pete, or ask my board, check out the show notes below. We'll have those links and check us out on the socials. Beyond Eight Figures, we'll have our Twitter, our Facebook, our LinkedIn, our Instagram, all there for you. And really, I would love to hear what you think about what Pete's doing about bringing intention. I'm saying bring intention, but building your businesses around a core concept of what's important to you to create long-term value. I'd love to hear what you're thinking about that and what you thought about Pete's description of the catapult method. Like I said, I was really impressed by it, so I would love to hear your opinions too. So can't wait to talk to you again. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.